Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner. Good to have you with us here on The Mark Steiner Show on our way to our conversation with Dominic Stevenson. I want to remind you The Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union. Offering a full range of financial services, MeQ, Baltimore's credit union is helping its members and its community prosper. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. More information at www.mecu.com or at steinershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner with all the information. So we're here with Dominic Stevenson, who is Program Director for American Friends Service Committee. William Founders, a friend to a friend, co-author with Eddie Conway of Martial Law, The Life and Times of a Baltimore Black Panther, and contacted us about a death that took place at Jessup um, yes. at, at the Correctional Institute to talk about what happened. Yeah, um, I was contacted yesterday morning by the wife of one of the men who participates in our program. Um, she basically said that a, one of our members had passed away, that um, he'd had a seizure and that he lay in the floor pretty much for 30 minutes before receiving any kind of treatment. And I guess by that time, he he died. So but that, first of all, let me take two steps backwards and then come right back here. So... Could you just describe to our listeners again, those who made you tuning in the first time, never had a conversation with you before on the air, what Friends of a Friend mm-hmm. is? What, is yeah, we are a program that started in the Maryland prison system um, with men who began to do mentoring with younger men in the population, work with them um, using group process as well as one-on-one mentoring, trying to prepare them to come back out into the community um, more whole. And, and also come back out into the community in a more redemptive way, doing work in the community. And so some of those men came out, and as a result of that, began doing work in Gilmore Homes. Um, we currently are working doing, you know, Tubman House, uh, which is a project right there near the Gilmore Homes housing project um, where we offer programming for children. We have a farm there, you know, things like that. So, and tell us about the man who passed away. Who was he? His name was uh, James Hopkins. We all called him Bear. He was a big, gentle giant of a man. Um, And I I had known him for years. He was actually one of the members of our veterans program at the House of Corrections. So that's how far back it goes. Um, When the House of Corrections closed, he, Eddie, and a few other men were moved to Hagerstown, and that's where we began the Friend of a Friend program. So he was one of the founding members of Friend of a Friend as well. Um, And, I mean, just, you know, to to hear the description of how he died, it was like, you know, he didn't deserve that. So, I mean, what— what does that say about what's going on inside the prison itself? I mean, he so he had he had a stroke, he passed out. What? He had a seizure, from a what seizure. I understand. Yeah, and there was no help. Did anybody try to get him help, and they, they just didn't come? What happened? Uh, people around him, it, and and from what I'm, I've heard, it was it happened in the recreation area, and so people around him attempted to to help. Other prisoners attempted to provide help, but um, they waited for thirty minutes before there was any medical attention given to him. So how is that allowed? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think one of the the key issues is that people who are in prison become invisible. They are the disappeared from the community. Um, And that the fact that, you know, the Department of Public Safety and Corrections has very little public (laughs) in that department. Um, There's very little access for the public and for families. And so when you have people who are essentially in isolation, it's very easy to mistreat them, whether it's deliberate or whether it's just by habit. So 
I mean, the, the, the idea that he, I mean, it was, it, I mean, the tragedy of his death, but it also calls into question lots of things just about procedures inside, inside of our prisons. I mean, now we're having the people, the, the latest is that uh, because some people in prison have suboxone smuggled in on the back of uh, stamps um, <laughs> that they want to ban all letters and packages yes. to people serving time. Yes, which just furthers the isolation. You know, it just increases it. I mean, they have um, changed the how people can use the phone. You know, there was a time when people could make multiple calls. I believe now it's one call and they can't make a call for hour. you know, until hours later or whatever. But they these things that they present as a means of of what preventing crime actually serve to further dehumanize and isolate the prison population. There has to be a more humane way of approaching it. And I'm sure even in, in terms of uh, Bear's death, they will have their version of events. But I'm, I, I'm basically sharing the version that was shared with me, mm-hmm. you know, with one of the, and, and this man, you know, he was talking to his wife as this happened. So she was on the phone. But also... The thing is, he had to watch his friend die. <laughs> you know, he, he, you know, so the trauma of that experience, you know, coupled with the fact that, you know, he was essentially helpless to do anything. So if someone asks you your thoughts about how you change and reform that system, I, I, I know your notions are not, are not on the, in the mainstream for most people, <laughs> but I think they're important people to hear. So, I mean, how <laughs> yeah, I'd abolish it. I'd abolish it, but I realize that, that we have to, I mean, those kind of dialogues have not been had with communities, and very often people in communities um, <coughs> who are being subjected to crime, and I'm putting that in quotations, you know, ha- believe that, okay, the police and prisons serve a purpose. We have to work in communities to begin to create um, restorative justice practices where the community has a say in what happens to an individual, where the community has the opportunity to allow that individual to make some sort of amends to the community. So I think that there, you know, we're, we are like years away from that. But I think that one of the, the key issues that we have to look at is that this system has just become more harmful over the years. Um, It's become, in a sense, sharper and meaner. (laughs) And more and more people are dealing with longer terms of isolation. Um, They're being separated from families. That creates hostilities that they bring out back into the community. And so we have to deal with it. It is the responsibility of the community, I think, to begin to look at these these type of um, other options, you know. Uh, calling the police doesn't really serve us well. You can call the police for a family situation and someone can end up killed by the police. So we have to begin to rely upon ourselves to um, create systems that can deal with situations in our communities. So so what, what is going to be friends of our friends or your response to what happened to Bear in, the, in prison? What can you do? Well, having been banned a couple of times at this point, I'm not banned, no, I'm currently in there. Maybe we should be talking about this Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's one of these situations where somebody has to do it, okay? And so, yeah, I'm going to talk about it. And the reality is they have way too much power. And part of that is because we've given that power to these departments. There's very little accountability. Our thing is that 
we're going to look into the situation, try to determine what what happened. You know, we need to have more information. Right now, I'm going on what I was told from someone's wife. We need to find out more about what happened. But this it has to stop. There needs to really be a, a, a vibrant prison movement in this country. And there hasn't been um, significant movement since the 70s. And we really have to work harder to engage people. And one of the, the other things that people can do is really get involved. There are opportunities for people to go into the prisons and, and volunteer. People inside need to see people from the communities. The more people who are going in there and volunteering, the less... Possible, it becomes for them to to do the things that they do in the prison system because, in a sense, we are witnesses to that. So is Eddie allowed back in prison to work? Eddie would never go back in prison to work. <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality. Eddie, After forty four years, not going to go back like, to district, right? Right? right. <laughs> not happening. <laughs> but for the most part, they're very um, restrictive in terms of letting people back in. I've seen. Some people be allowed to go back in, but there are restrictions on on how often you and can, what they can do. Let's get a call in here before we take a break at 410-319-8888. Uh, Gary, you're on the air. Welcome. Hi. Uh, I didn't expect to be up so soon. Uh, Welcome. Mark and Dominique. Uh, I um, was online. I, I saw, Dominique, that you were going to be on Mark's show. And uh, just in the interest of brevity, um uh, when I hear Hagerstown and when I hear Jessup, I hear my own loved one being there. And I'm sure that this echoes with thousands and thousands and thousands of people uh, who are listening to this. At least I hope so. And uh, I just feel so fortunate uh, to have met both of you guys um, and the, uh, a work, the work ahead of us. Uh, seems insurmountable, but seeing as how uh, Nelson Mandela's birthday was just uh, a couple days ago on July right. 18th, right. Uh, I love his quote where he said, uh, it seems impossible until it is done. So uh, thank you guys for being who you are, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Gary, for the call. I mean, there are a lot of... I mean, the... the, the Having worked in that system myself for several years, and that was a long time ago, but <laughs> having worked there, um, one of the things I always walked away from the, that the experience taught me was that the vast majority of men that I met working in Hagerstown should not be in prison. Mm -hmm. There was a, or a group that I hope would never see the light of day because they were out of their minds and they, they would hurt people in the mm -hmm. community and they mm -hmm. just need to be separated from the rest of us. Mm -hmm. But the vast majority of those men no matter what crime mm -hmm. they committed, mm -hmm. could be healed by community and brought yes. back. And we did, did not need to have this massive system <laughs> mm -hmm. incarcerating all these people. I mean, yeah. that's something. And people think, oh, you're crazy, Mark. I can say that. They broke a law. They need to go to jail. Yeah. You know, but it's much more complex than yeah. that if you understand the human beings involved. Yeah. Yeah. And at what point is punishment just simply null and void. I mean, Bear had been there for many, many years. He was there on a, I believe, a first degree murder charge. But this is somebody who 
essentially changed himself. He learned from folks like Eddie, um, different people in the population who who were acted as mentors, and he attempted to help other folks. He became a mentor in the program. So, you know, I've seen so many men who I could name them. Craig Muhammad, for one, Uh, this brother has been sitting in prison for many, many years, who would be very valuable to us in the community, who would be very helpful in what is happening on the streets right now. Um, He, as well as some other brothers, um, have organized a program, Project Emancipation. And a lot of the work that they've done inside is really helping young men uh, remove themselves from the street organizations and really transform their lives. I'd like to hear more about that one day. I mean, that's that's not an easy trick to do. Yes, and that's something that, that people need to know about that. It is not the system itself that is, it's not rehabilitating folks, it's not helpful. If anything, it's creating more trauma, um, and folks are going in already traumatized. It is, there are men and women, you know, inside of prison who take it upon themselves because of their own transformations to help other folks in the population make that transformation. I think that it, it, it would be kind of a who was we're having a short segment together today because we want to talk mm-hmm. about the death and, and let you talk mm-hmm. to our listeners about that, but... Um, it'd be good to have a conversation where we really talk about what the alternatives are to what we do yes. and how we do it. I mean, I, I, I think of um, uh, the, the, if you look at other cultures and how they deal with stuff, I mean, murder is a terrible thing. If someone mm-hmm. murdered somebody in my family, I'm sure somebody murdered somebody in your family, there'd be a lot of mixed emotions and mm-hmm. revenge would even be in your heart. I mean, it would be yeah. in mine, I know, right? But if we're if you take that equation out of it, that our personal anger and our personal desire for revenge, mm-hmm. and think about it in a larger way, of can, uh, that somebody can be rehabilitated, somebody can change, yes. and become a healer after they've committed a crime. And there are many cultures on the planet, especially many Earth cultures on the planet, in the in the mother continent, in the, in the ancient cultures here, Native American and other places, mm-hmm. that saw that in terms yes. of how they bring people. You might be banned for mm-hmm. like ten years, but then yes. come back. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that we have to think of different different ways of handling this. Yeah, we do. We really do. I think one of the other things that needs to happen is some really honest and open dialogue with the Department of Public Safety and Corrections. I think it's time. Um, I feel like often we've been shut out or we've even been penalized when we've spoken about the issues or the things that we've encountered. And I think we need to, to they need to be more open to talking to folks in the community. They need to be more open and, and more accessible to the community. If, 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 in fact, it's really our public safety that is of a concern, I don't, you know, how is that if I'm not involved in the dialogue? No, right, right. Maybe many people could be in our own communities in their own mm-hmm. form of community homes where people live in a community and stay in community while they're healing themselves yes. and atoning for the, some of the things they've done. And, 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 and we just have to really think it differently. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm very sorry for your loss, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. We, you know, it, it's, hey, he's free, though. I hear that. Mm-hmm. I hear that. Dominic Stevenson, you do an incredible amount of beautiful work in this community. So thank you for so much for taking time today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. We have to take a short break, and we're going to start our international roundtable. Don't go away.
Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner. Good to have you all with us here on the Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Uh, we are going to start an international roundtable today. We're rounding up our guests for that roundtable. We're now joined by Rania Kalik, who is associate editor of, at the Electronic Intifada and co-host of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. And Rania, welcome. Good to have you with us. Well, thanks. So good to be with you. Is it Rania or Rania? Rania. Yes. I, 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 I thought I said it right. I wanted to make sure I was right. <laughs> and you all can join us here at 410-319-8888. Uh, you can write to us here at uh, talkasanisher.org by email. Tweet us at Mark Steiner. Log on to our Facebook pages. But do join us as we cover what's happening now in Turkey, uh, what uh, happened in France the other week and what happened in Germany, um, and what the world responses are that deeply affects, I think, the elections we're having here. Um, and I, I, let me just start uh, running before our, our other guests arrive, and I hope they're here soon. Um, but but um, when you look at what happened in Germany just the other day or what happened in France before that. Um, and then all the things that also happened, there's kind of more and more people have been killed in places like Iraq and Baghdad and, and in Turkey and at the airport. So what is what is your kind of response to that? I mean, where, where do you think that a response should be to all of that from us? What should we understand? Well, you know, I understand the uh, the feeling of, you know, when it comes to countries that aren't typically the targets of attacks, um, that countries that maybe we relate to more because they look a little bit more like us um, or have like a similar culture that we do. I understand, you know, the way that people, it sort of resonates with people more. I get that. Um, but yeah, you know, there are, these are things that happen on a regular basis in other parts of the world and they don't seem to, not only do they not seem to get as much attention, but also, like, you know, just yesterday or just in the past couple of days, U.S.-led airstrikes in Syria have killed, they're saying, over, like, 160 civilians, possibly more, in just a couple of days. And we have to understand what's taking place in the context of things like that. I mean, what's happening in other parts of the world that we don't necessarily pay attention to, those things are related to what's taking place with certain attacks and over here. And they also would add that in the case of what happened in a place like France or Germany, it's not all clear, um, especially in France. It's not all exactly clear what the motive was behind that attack. And it seems like there's always this quick jump to want to relate everything to, you know, ISIS, 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 when in fact it's not all that clear. We did the same thing with Orlando. And, I mean, I think it's really important to understand why people commit acts of heinous violence. Um, we, you know, if we want to prevent those things, we need to understand why. And if we're just jumping to conclusions about motives, then we're never going to get to the, you know, we're never going to be able to prevent these kinds of things. And we're also, we're also now joined by Stephen David uh, on the phone here. Stephen David is professor in the Department of Political Science at Johns Hopkins University. Stephen, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Nice to be here. So we were just talking about the, what, what the, the events have taken place in, in Germany and, and in France and what our analysis and response to that is. You heard some of what Rania Kalik was saying, our other guest right now. What's your response? I just heard, I guess, a, a bit of uh, what she said. But let me just say, I think there's a distinction between uh, American airstrikes uh, against ISIS and the deliberate killing of civilians. Uh, I think it's very regrettable when American airstrikes uh, kill innocent civilians and more care needs to be done to prevent that. But I think a distinction needs to be made when you are going after a military target or, or military uh, leaders, 
and civilians are regretfully killed um, as part of that action versus when you try and maximize innocent deaths, uh, as you have uh, had in many of these terrorist incidents of the last few weeks. And now we're also, we're also joined by Loretta Napoleone, who is author of numerous books, including Islamic Phoenix, Islamic State, and the, and the Drawing of the Middle East, um, and uh, advises many governments and international organizations um, on many issues. And Loretta, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Thank you for inviting me again. Always good to have you on. Uh, so talk a bit from your perspective. We, we just said uh, I opened the show with, uh, with, with Rania Kalek, who's with us, uh, who's associate editor the, uh, at the Electronic Intifada. Um, uh, about what happened in France and what happened in Germany. And, you know, it, and I was thinking one of the things I was thinking about, we always have a response when these things happen in the West. Uh, but we don't have much of a response when these things happen uh, in Bangladesh or if they happen in Baghdad or they happen in Turkey. Um, as I said to a friend the other day, I said, Where, where's my ability on Facebook to put up an Iraqi flag over somebody's face when you see these same kind of killings as I can do and do uh, what happened in France. But w- what's your analysis of where this is coming from? Well, I think this is, uh, it's always been like that. Uh, even during colonization, the life uh, of the colonizer was worth um, many, many lives for people that have been colonized. Uh, I, think it's, um, I-, I think it's terrible, actually. I mean, for example, you know, nobody's, Interesting what is happening in Sudan, South Sudan. There is uh, potentially a new civil war uh, happening. Another major, major tragedy as Darfur may happen again. Then, you know, we have a Turkey of more than 80,000 people who have been uh, put in jail. We have uh, academics who cannot uh, any longer leave the country without permission. I mean, these are serious serious events, and yet uh, we only look uh, at the number of uh, national people who have died um, in France. Of course, uh, we should, because it is a tragedy, but I was in Italy when uh, the Nice attack took place, and all the newspapers and all the media were talking about is the number of Italians who had perished, or you know, the number of Italians that, that could be dying because you know they were in critical condition in hospitals. No mention about anybody else. Uh, that this is the way we are, and uh, this is also why we're facing all these problems uh, because we tend to look at ourselves in a different way than we look at other people. So, 2003 invasion of Iraq. Uh, how many people died since then? I mean, <laughs> massive, massive number of people, and yet. We do not care, or we do not pay attention to it. And that's why we face terrorism, this is why we face destabilization, because our approach in foreign policy is the wrong approach. I'm not saying that other countries are different, but that's the way that we have to change. We live in a globalized world, so we should be global in everything, including in how we look at major tragedies. So, you know, I, and the question is what, what uh, when, when you see what's happening in France because of what happened in Nice, um, the, the, and I think people don't realize, if, so Americans don't get into this much because we don't get into the internal issues in many other countries. We, we fight in this country over the NSA and how much information uh, we think the government should have and what surveillance, how, how we should limit surveillance. But what's going on in France? I mean, the, the French have literally no boundaries in terms of the, the surveillance going on. 
uh, and and um, and it's just going to be heightened. The question is what what so what do we expect to see from Western governments uh, as these things happen? I mean, what what's your scenario for what might open up, Rania, in the next in the next oh, in the next months? Well, I think what we're seeing is really, uh, I would say, uh, frightening trends in terms of the way governments are reacting, especially in a place like France, where you have um, expansion of these emergency provisions that are in place, and you have the ran- you know you've had the ransacking of Muslim homes and businesses. Um, you know, Fr- the way France has been reacting to these attacks, which are continuing despite these actions that France has been taking against Muslims and its own population. Um, as you've seen, uh, you know, a really a, a, a clampdown on, on civil liberties. And you've also seen it extend beyond just Muslims. You've seen it extend to using these emergency laws to crush protests, to crush labor uprisings and strikes. Um, so I think in a lot of ways what we're seeing as a result of these attacks is uh, a diminishing, I guess, of, of freedom in our own countries, and with France being really the most extreme. Uh in terms of the U.S., I mean, obviously, like, it hasn't quite been that way. But, you know, since 9-11, that's kind of what we've seen in a slower, less dramatic fashion, if you will, is sort of a breakdown in civil liberties. So, um, Rania, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just realized we were up against the clock. I'll take a very quick news okay. break and come right back to Rania Collix. I'm going to go back to Stephen David, Loretta Napoleone, as we look at what's happening in the world. And we will talk about what's happening in Turkey and how that influences the rest of us. Stay with us. Mm-hmm. 